It's football and other F words. Thanksgiving edition. Turkey and other T words, if you want to call it that. My name is Zach Lydes. You can follow me on Twitter at F words pod. And you got Mike Herndon over here. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. And you can read all of his articles on paulkarski.com. Big things apparently going on with paulkarski.com because uh, I guess uh, he's not going to be with OutKick anymore. Do you, are, do you, are you, is he expanding the site or do you, can you, are you privy to any information you can share? I'm not privy to any information that I am allowed to share. Okay. Uh, well, that was very anticlimactic, but we are very probably, enlightening. Yeah, but well, let me tell you what is very climatic, climatic, Clim- climactic, climactic is Jasper's. Jasper's in Nashville has all the climax you could you you could ever hope for. It's oh. exciting. It's enticing. It's everything that you need for a local sports bar. You got two for ones on Sundays. You got board game nights. You got a whole room dedicated to like ski ball and the old basketball games you can shoot. You got massive Jenga. And most importantly, you got great, great food and it's really nice. They are elevating the sports bar. Head over to Jasper's over on West End and have yourself a good time. Don't forget two for ones on Sundays. And that's when the Titans usually play. Usually because they just got done. That really got done, but they just played Thursday, Thursday night football and I am anti-Titans on Thursday Night Football, Mike, because this has felt like the longest time from recording to from game to recording that I've felt in a very long time. Like it took forever for Monday to get here. It is, yeah. It's um, it it, it is kind of a weird. It makes the the whole pacing feel weird. Um, although I do, I always, always, always enjoy a nice Sunday where I can sit and relax and watch Red Zone and just laugh at all these other bad teams uh, and, and not have to stress about the Titans. So I do enjoy those Sundays, but I don't, I, I'm with you. I don't particularly enjoy the Thursday night football uh, like lag. Cause it's just weird. It's hard for me to do stuff like content wise over the weekends and, and stuff like that. Cause I've got a child who that's, you know, my, my prime time to spend time with him. Um, so uh, I, I do not spend it fucking around with uh, <laughs> uh, Titans content, but um yeah it's uh it just makes for a weird schedule I, i'm not, i'm not a fan but we'll get to do it again here in a few weeks yeah they'll be be fantastic um the the packers game was and i think that i think we all agree and it may be a couple of days removed was an absolute butt whooping i feel like and maybe the score doesn't reflect it even though i think it does but it it was all the way through from the coaching staff all the way to defense special teams in the Titans' favor. That game never felt like it was going to be out of the Titans' favor. It was just a wild, bizarre way to spend your Thursday night watching a competent Titans offense. And heck, I think competent kind of undersells what we saw was we saw the the best version of the Titans' offense that doesn't include Derrick Henry. So if you're looking for the game, you know, we talked about in the Denver game, you know, okay, well, Derrick Henry stopped. You know, he's not getting the yardage. Ryan Tannehill, we never see those games where Ryan Tannehill wins those games. And never see him in quotation marks. And then you have another one that is basically one on the back of Ryan Tannehill's arm. Not to dismiss what Derrick Henry did, because what Derrick Henry did is not sexy on the box score, but it's definitely sexy to extend drives and get things done <coughs> Mike, 
I feel like the last two weeks, maybe this is a little conspiracy theory, the last two weeks has looked like a completely different offense. I'm just saying, I don't know if it's all Todd. I don't know if this is a Todd Downing called games these last two weeks. Oh, come on. It, <laughs> these these conspiracy theories are, I, this is straight up Titans QAnon shit. The, but, but let me ask you, though. I mean, the, the, the defense, the offenses look totally different. And we know that. That basically Mike Vrabel said all he does is make sure the communication works is what Mike Vrabel pretty much says. You cannot believe anything Mike Vrabel says in a press conference. You cannot believe any of that shit. He is a liar. Look at the look at the <laughs> team awards and who he gives those out to and shit. It, he's a liar. He's, he's a just not an award liar. guy, Mike. I mean, he's he's not an award guy. He's a, he's a he's a coaching thing. But don't you think that suddenly all of this stuff happening? leads credence to maybe there's a it's maybe maybe it's not all maybe Todd Downey's not all gone there's a lot more collaborative effort recently like there's a lot more hands in the pot is kind of what I'm thinking I don't I don't I still don't even know if I buy that because frankly this offense had looked good at times in the passing game it just hadn't been consistent like the first half of the Colts game the first half of the Raiders game like we'd seen flashes of this before they just hadn't been able to put a whole game together uh, and then I, whatever it is with Tannehill coming back off the injury, obviously the the going from Malik Willis to Ryan Tannehill and jumping back into that was like being dropped into like a, a cold bathtub and like suddenly woke up and you're like, oh my god, this is uh, this is what offense is. Um, but Tannehill's return plus Traylon Burks's return, and Traylon Burks having like obviously he didn't do a ton in Denver, he gave them a little bit. But this game, he was a huge part of of what happened. Um, I I do feel like those kind of pieces just falling back into place helps, and they have been more aggressive on first downs and things like that. Which you know, I, I don't know if maybe that's you know because you you look back to when was the bye week was right before I'm trying to remember schedule wise. It was right before the second indie game, and the offense was pretty trash there. But then that's when Tannehill gets hurt, right? And then they have, uh, you know, the Texans game, which is a throwaway, the Chiefs game, which is a throwaway, and then these two games. So I kind of feel like maybe this is some stuff that they wanted to get to out of the bye, and this is just really the first chance that they really had the opportunity to do that to a large degree. I mean, yeah, but then you also think about everything last year. It's just like you've never seen that that was easily Todd Downing's uh, the best Titans game with Todd Downing on staff since as an offensive coordinator. I mean that since was very like Art Smith Smithian to me. I think the the Texans game last year you could put up there um at the end of the year when they scored what 30 did they score 30 in that game? Um Yeah, I, I know the so. defense was horrific uh in that one, but it, they they had a couple games last year, but you're right like it's definitely one of the best games that we've seen, um, especially from a passing standpoint. I would say from a passing standpoint, it's probably the best game that we've seen uh, under Downing. So, I mean, I think maybe they found something, but I don't I don't think that suddenly Tim Kelly's calling plays and, and Todd Downing's just up there like, uh, you know, pretending to talk into the microphone and they just turned it off or something like that. I, I, I'm not sure I'm buying quite that far i mean um, 
could have the this this turn of events could have led to certain actions being taken uh post victory celebrations i guess you could say <laughs> we're not going to dive into that but you never know you don't know what's going on behind the scenes that you know i'm just saying it just seems like it's drastically that was a stark contrast from any Todd Downing game i can really remember maybe not as a stark from the Denver game but it felt like to me the Denver game was a crazy aggressive game plan too that was working and that took a while to work but it ended up working for them and they come out and go crazy on on the Green Bay defense which is not a really a slouch defense probably average yeah. NFL average and you know it's just it seems like a different philosophy it's like either Mike Vrabel has taken off the training wheels something has happened whether that's Mike Rebel taking off the training wheels or it's more collaborative effort, or maybe it's just literally someone's telling Todd the plays to call from the booth. You know, maybe, maybe Tim Kelly's up there and then he's just relaying the calls to uh, Tannehill. I don't know. It just feels like something is different. It's not just like, Oh, Traylon Burks is back and Ryan Tannehill's back. Like it's clearly different. Yeah. I think they've, I think they found something with the quick passing game uh, the last couple of weeks, and maybe that's an final, finally an admission that, hey, we just can't block that well, um, and we need to find a way to... It only took 10 weeks for them to figure it fucking out that they don't block well. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that is, I think, part of it, too, is is they have they have adjusted the, the the game plans a little bit. Now, in this game, there were a few plays where Tannehill did have some time, and, and he was able to kind of sit back there and... and look and scan and find options and things like that but most of the the last two weeks i think we've seen he hits the you know third step of his drop and that ball's coming out uh to whoever whoever it's designed to go to and also look Brian Hill played his out of his fucking mind in this game like even yeah. even with like some of the throws where it was well covered he put it exactly where it needed to be for a guy to make the play on it and for once, all of his wide receivers made plays. Like, and that's that's some of the stuff that, like, you know, that's why I tend to like not buy into this like idea that it's some mystery play caller because I don't think the mystery play caller suddenly makes like NWI and Robert Woods and Austin Hooper and all these guys just like make play after play after play and Traylon Burks. Um, I mean, they made so many plays. All these contested catches. NWI had a great contested catch. Burks had a couple. Uh, you know, Hooper had great contested catches. Um, it Even was Woods finally showed up. It felt Wood, like Woods had a nice game. It was every single player on offense that was part of the passing game played outstanding, and they all the had game. explosive pass plays too. I mean, yeah. that that was another big thing. You know, you you talk about Tan Hill's game. You know, Tan Hill for the twenty twenty two season in and stuff that matters and obviously air yards do matter but i mean it's like so close in air yards that like 0.1 yard is like two spots away from something else so but he's 11th in epa and completion percentage over expected he's 24th in air yards 10th in success rate and 11th in epa per play and that's the whole season versus green bay he was second and fourth in air yards second in epa cpoe First in success rate being he had 65.6% success rate and second in EPA per play. Like it was a, and obviously you could tell on the field. Cause sometimes you see these EPA games and these high rankings, it doesn't always translate to, 
like a big explosive pass plays or, you know, lots of points. But in this game, like you visually saw one of the best games of Ryan Tannehill's life, I feel like. Even even though he did throw an interception, like I can't say it enough. Up and over, Ryan. Just up and over. That's all you got to throw on these on these balls. Yeah, he uh, he definitely never saw uh, Russell Douglas or or expected him to be there, which, you know, I, I understand I'm not expecting him to be there. But either way, I, he's also – he is fifth in yards per attempt this year, which is one of my favorite, like, standard uh, stats for quarterback efficiency. And that it's getting – here's what it is to me. It looks a lot more like 2019, 2022 – or 2020 uh, – um, Ryan Tannehill, like it, those those numbers that he put up those first two years, he was a starter here. He's much more in line with those numbers, especially from like a rate standpoint. So like yards per attempt, uh, like touchdown percentage, interception percentage. He's like kind of sandwiched in between those two seasons right now in all of those categories um, and way above and beyond what he did last year. So it does feel like he's kind of gotten back to it. He's He's protecting the ball well again. Uh, not turning it over, obviously the one interception being the the uh, outlier there. But he's also not fumbled. He's only fumbled twice all season. I, I think he's only lost one fumble. Um, and yeah. I think that one technically was the Malik Willis handoff. Um, so he's just not turning the ball over, which is kind of job number one in this offense. You know, it's the way Mike Vrabel wants to play football is no turnovers. Uh, you know, protect the football, run the ball, you know, kind of, kind of, it's a safe, you know, somewhat conservative offense, but it, it, it does play into the strengths of what this roster is. Um, and man, he, uh, he's, he's playing at a really high level. These past two games have been two of the best Ryan Tannehill games that we've seen from him. in at least, you know, since going back to the 2020 season, if not the 2019 season when he was just nuclear hot. Um, so that's very encouraging. I feel like we have to do this because people obviously don't understand when we're talking highly of Ryan Tannehill in the regular season, we know he still has to prove it in the postseason. Yeah. Like, like, uh, it comes with that caveat. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody should know that because I, I, you know, last week, apparently you were talking about how great Ryan Tannehill played and you were talking about the stats and, and all this stuff. And I get a couple of people in another group chat and they're like, it doesn't really matter because he's got to do it in the postseason. Yeah, we 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 fucking know that. Like, we know that he has to do it in the postseason. Yeah, I I this is your your evergreen message right here. Ryan Tannehill, neon lights, asterisks. Anything we say about Ryan Tannehill in the regular season, we know he has to do that in the postseason. And it and it got me thinking about this Ryan Tannehill game and that kind of conversation, and everything and. You know, I go back to the Chiefs' loss in the AFC Championship game. I don't really feel like that's Ryan Tannehill's fault. I go to the Ravens' home game where they, where the Khalif Raymond uh, did his best impression of a fainting goat and just, like, got scared and fell over. Like, someone farted in his general direction and he fucking fell over. I get that everybody looks at that play and sees the A.J. Brown is streaking. Well, you know what? Arthur Smith should have called the play to A.J. Brown. Instead, he called the play to Khalif Raymond. So I don't, you know, I understand that, well, he should have probably scanned the field. Well, Khalif Raymond was was, was going to be open. Yeah. It's just Khalif Raymond's fault is that he just got scared. And I go to the Bengals game, and 
because we're talking about turnovers, right? And and that to me has been the biggest change from last year to this year for Ryan Tannehill has been the limiting of turnovers. Squarely, three different interceptions. You just take away one interception, the Titans win that game. And so this brings me to that, yes, Ryan Tannehill has to prove it in the regular season, but so does this whole offense. Derrick Henry has to start proving it in... You can you can point to the the Patriots game and you can point to the um, the Ravens in 2019 that game that he did as much as he as anybody could ever ask for and dream, but in every loss he's also not performing in every loss, yeah. and the offensive coordinators are not performing in every loss. The wide receivers are not performing in every loss. I mean. It, it, yeah, Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback, and that's I don't like quarterback wins as a stat. So I understand that typically your quarterback shoulders to blame for most losses if your offense isn't scoring points. But it it's possible, right? I mean, like it's still possible that he because this NFL season is the worst NFL season. I am now convinced the Titans are probably the second best team in the NFL, the entire NFL, because this whole fucking league sucks i watched all day red zone for like the fifth or sixth time just other teams on red zone they all are atrocious they all fucking suck and i was so pissed off at red zone because like buffaloes and uh the browns were in the red in the red zone in a for a couple plays instead they're showing the three three jets patriots game like i don't fucking give a shit about that game whatsoever but i digress the entire nfl is at an all-time low so even if the Titans, all the, all they need from Ryan Tannehill is not to win a game, is to limit the mistakes at critical moments in a game. So he's got to prove he can do that. I don't need him. He, this team does not need him to go out and throw for 300 yards in the playoffs. Right. I mean, that that's the thing. He, he doesn't have to be like the guy in this offense. And he's not going to be the guy. Like, I think that's the thing. We live in this world where you're either like the goat or you're trash, one of the two. Um, and Tannehill is neither. That's just the reality of the situation. He's not Patrick Mahomes or, you know, even Justin Herbert or any of these guys that, you know, like you watch and you're just like, oh my God, look at, look at this guy, like making these plays, but he is good. He is a good quarterback. He's, he's a well above average quarterback. He's a quarterback you can win with. Obviously they've won 36 games out of 51, uh, with him as a starter. So like, look, I understand the playoff stuff and, and everything like that. And like everyone, everyone agrees that eventually you have to win in the playoffs to matter as a quarterback. Um, but he can still be a good quarterback, right? Like Dak Prescott hasn't won shit in the playoffs. He's still a good quarterback. Like, I, I mean, that's kind of where I feel like Tannehill is. And that's where, like, frankly, Matt Stafford lived up until last year. It just takes one year to change that narrative, right? So, to me... It feels, it's kind of starting to feel like that year, though, Mike. It's like, I'm not I'm not buying in until I see it, but I'm leaving the door open. Like, I, I got the door cracked open, letting a little cool air in, you know, trying to, you know, cool down the house. I'm, I got it cracked open because this this whole, like I said, the whole league is terrible. Like, wouldn't it be so Titans for them to win the Super Bowl 
but everybody spends all off season saying how bad every other team was instead of how good the Titans were like, doesn't that kind of feel like that is setting up perfectly for that narrative for us to talk about for three fucking months that, well, the Titans really just won because it was a down year in the NFL. Well, that, I mean, that will be the narrative, regardless of what happens with this franchise, uh, when they do win it, it, that will be the narrative either way, because the, the national media will never admit that the Titans are good. It is only that other teams are bad or failing or, you know, and, and predictably, like coming out of this game, it was, oh, Aaron Rodgers, what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers? The Packers, you know, he, his thumb must really be hurting. Well, funny, his thumb wasn't hurting against the Cowboys last week, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, but it's... Uh, it's really funny how that, that narrative always flips, but it is kind of weird though, right? Like the whole NFL, you look around, like the bills are struggling. Like, yes, I know they ended up beating the Browns pretty easily, but they struggled in that game. Like that, that was not a great performance for them. Um, and they're still going to be around. They're still super dangerous. Um, they're a very good team, but they've, they've had kind of some of their flaws exposed the last couple of weeks. Um, it, the Chiefs we know are really, really good. We also know that the Titans went to overtime with them with a quarterback that completed five passes in the game, and they barely beat a a pretty pitiful Chargers team. Like you yeah. can't convince me that this Chargers team is anything special, even with Justin Herbert, who is like dink, the dink and dunk master right now. Yeah, he throws those dink and dunks so pretty though. Yeah, um, but it's uh, it is. And then you see the Eagles, the Eagles lost to the commanders and then they turn around and they, they should have lost that game to the Colts. If the Colts had any sort of ability to finish off drives whatsoever. I mean, they had like five drives. I think that went inside the Eagles 35 yard line and they only scored 16 points in the game. Um, If the Colts had any sort of ability to finish drives, the Eagles would have lost that game. Um, There's just not, there's not anybody that's great. Like the Dolphins, Here's the thing with the Dolphins, like they're excited. Their defense is terrible for one. And then the second thing with the Dolphins is remember what Tua looked like when it was raining and cold here in Nashville uh, in that game last December. He looked like shit. He looked like he just was uncomfortable. I I just want to see what this offense looks like when they're not playing in southern southern Florida or they're not playing in, uh, you know, a dome in December and January. Cause I, I just think that's going to be the time of year where if that offense is going to be slowed down, it's going to be in those kind of conditions. Um, and I want to see the, the dolphins be able to keep that up a little bit uh, before I'm, I'm crowning them as a, a true threat to win the, uh, the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. So there's, there's a lot of flaws with all these teams. They, they can all be beat. Yeah. And I noticed that you didn't even mention any NFC team. I mean, when you really think about yeah, well, yeah, besides the Eagles, forgot about yeah. them. But, uh, you know, you, you look at the Cowboys, they're so up and down and inconsistent. Yeah. You have the Vikings, which are probably, I bet, DVOA-wise, they have to be similar to what the Titans were last year when they were the, <laughs> the fraud number one seed and all that kind of stuff. They are 8-2 and two with a negative two-point differential now. Yeah, like, to <laughs> me, it's just like, I look around, I go... You know, things have changed because I was really down on this team for the longest time. And, you know, last week I said, you know, that I was going to at least just enjoy what we're watching. And then I watched the Green Bay game and I'm like, holy shit. I mean, you know, you got defenders flying, you know, going down 
every which way they're getting injured and they're, they're not missing a beat. You got Trey Avery out there, you know, forcing three incompletions, two pass breakups, you know, he, and he's getting attacked like you would expect Aaron Rodgers to attack him. And he stood the test of time for whatever reason. Trey Avery was just like, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. They can't get that out. Caleb Farley, but they sure get it out. Trey Avery. Um, but it's just wild that it doesn't matter what this team happens to this team. If they just find ways to win. And I just, I'm not, you know, I have to see it in the pre postseason. Like it, it would take one postseason win, like the very first postseason win in the, the ga- first game that they play. If they win. I'm like, okay, well they're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> like they just got to make it past that because I, that's how I feel. I feel like they can go to Arrowhead. They've already shown they can go to Arrowhead with Malik Willis and almost win. So it, what if it's tennis, uh, Ryan Tannehill? And what if it's Ryan Tannehill with also Kyle Phillips and Racy McMath? Yeah, I mean, it, and that's – it sounds like Kyle Phillips is probably going to be back this week. Um, and that's just one more piece to add to this puzzle, which suddenly, like, hey, wide receivers look – like they might be okay, you know, like Burks, Woods, NWI, Phillips, um, and then you throw in a Conquo and Hooper. And yeah, you got six guys that, that can actually play. Um, and it I don't think it's like this isn't gonna become like a great passing offense, I don't think, but could they become like good enough? Could they become the 2020 version? Because the, the 2019 version, I think, is probably unrealistic. Like that that group was sitting like ypa records and like all this other stuff it was it was an unsustainably crazy hot run that they were on um but they were still really good in 2020 i think this group could be similar to 2020 i think they could get there if if these guys kind of click down the stretch now it's that that is going to totally require burks to be what he was on this thursday night game which let me say was incredible i mean like the ability to get over the top and win and i've been saying for months and months now um going back to probably training camp that i was like burks is going to be their field stretcher he's going to be their field stretcher and yes he ran like four five five at the combine or whatever he's not like a, a big time like straight line speed guy necessarily but you can see like his long strides and ability to get on top of corners like he ran right by jair alexander uh, he ran right by the the uh, corner who was covering him on the the first deep shot that they hit on that third down. He's got which that- was a crazy adjustment, by the way. That that's the definition of throwing someone open. Like to me, I was like, "Whoa, what a great pass!" And then when you see the replay and you see Burks go and make the adjustment at the right time, it's just yeah. like that's what the Titans have been needing from Traylon Burks. So, are you buying in Traylon Burks' game? He's he has arrived and. He is gonna turn into AJ Brown, similar like AJ Brown did in the twenty uh, his rookie year, and turn it up. You know, I I hesitate to go full like AJ rookie year because what AJ did over those last like six weeks of his rookie year is insane. Like I think he was averaging like 120 yards and two touchdowns a game or something like that. It was a wild, wild run. So I hesitate to say that Burks is gonna do that, but. I think this. I, I think what we saw on Thursday is real. I, I think that is what Traylon Burks is, and what he is going to be for this team. I've always been high on him. Um, I, I, you know, if you'd asked me 
way like before his last season at Arkansas started, who wide receiver one for that class was going to be, I would have said Burks. Um, and I like he's doing things now that we always hoped that he would be able to do. Um, and you can see the physicality, you can see the hands catching, like he is so skilled for a guy of his size. Um, the only thing, and I, I took all kinds of hell for this. We haven't seen any of the run after catch stuff from him yet. And, and I've been surprised by that because that was something that was billed as like a big, uh, one of the big parts of his skill set. It was something that was a big part of his skill set at Arkansas. Um, and I'm surprised that we haven't seen that come on just yet. Maybe that's just him getting used to NFL speed and, you know, trying to break through, break free from NFL tackles versus college corners. But if that light comes on, then maybe we do see like an AJ Brown breakout. Cause he's got everything else to me. Like he, he does so much well in that big body. You can see it on some of these contested catches where Tannehill's just trusting him and drilling the ball in, even when he's tightly covered and he's making the catch with his hands out away from his body with strong hands and pulling it in uh, through contact. That stuff is really, really encouraging. And the more Tannehill sees him make plays like this, the more he's going to trust him on those 50-50 balls and stuff like that. And I, I think Burks is going to break out. I do have him on my fantasy team. I've had him stashed there for a few weeks now. I am planning to play him soon. It is uh, it is going to be Burks' season here down the stretch. I, I have a very strong feeling that he is about to break out. Well, it seems like the rookies all have their defined role or have something they can bring. That includes Kyle Phillips, because we saw what Kyle Phillips was able to do in the Giants game. I mean, he obviously had Tannehill's trust the whole way through, yeah. but we've seen what Chick can do. We've seen what Burks can do. You know, it. I was very hesitant to say that the rookies would solve everything if they came back, because I had to see play calls and schemes and, and routes being designed to put to put them in places where they can succeed because I, I felt like this this game against the Packers it felt like there wasn't anybody around anybody else like it was like Robert Woods he was getting the ball the closest one would be like five yards away when typically what we've seen is like three receivers right in the same spot and all the defenders over there and to me it felt like it was a lot more spread out and I'm hoping. That is how they continue to do it because that the consistency on offense seems to be the hardest thing for this team to find and figure out. Um, the defense, I mean, the Nico went down and I'm like just heartbroken for him, but it seems like his uh, injury is not going to be as serious. He'll probably miss the Bengals game, but you know, you don't know what Danico has been capable of doing rehab wise uh, through this 10 day break. Um, but even with him going down, Jeffrey Simmons um, being kind of injured and being the focal point of of the Packers' offense, you know, their game plan was obviously stop Jeffrey Simmons. They still managed 13 pressures, which it's it's good. It doesn't sound good, but I, I talked about this on Thursday's a football show. They didn't change their game plan. They're going to rush with four. They rarely blitzed and send anybody an extra man this game. It just felt like they were like legit wide nine. It felt like almost every snap. And they were still able to just do what they do. And maybe it wasn't sexy on the on the stat sheet or whatever, but they, I think it's a big key for this defense 
that they can stick to their plan, even if it's not super, super effective, like it was in the Broncos game and the uh, game before that, but they can stay stay with it and not hurt the team and not hurt the defense at all. And I think that's a huge that's a huge sign of success for this defense that we always say is great. Yeah, it's it is insane how they're able to just keep doing it no matter who's out there. Um, but I do think they this ten day break is going to be good for them. I think because you should get Molden back. You should get Simmons a little bit more healthy because it's been obvious in in this game and really I think the Chiefs game as well that that, that ankle's been bothering him and he has not been quite his 100% normal self, um, even though he has still been effective at, at times in both those games. But getting a little bit of a break in there and, and getting healthy hopefully uh, would help. You know, they need to get Fulton healthy. It would be really nice if at some point during this season they could they could have their entire secondary uh on the field together at the same time because they still have not they still have not yet to do that. Like Molden has been out pretty much all year, you know, then Hooker's been out for five games, Fulton's been in and out of the lineup. Like it would be really nice to have all of those guys plus McCreary and Byard out there playing at the same time and see what that looks like because that it has be- to be this week, right? I mean, doesn't all signs point to Elijah Molden was a game time decision. Amani Hooker practiced all week, and then suddenly wasn't healthy enough to go. And Christian Fulton has time to heal up from whatever is ailing him, right? I mean, doesn't it seem like this is the weekend for that to happen? Fulton is almost the one that I would be most concerned about just because it's the hamstring and it flared up again against the Packers. And you don't know if that's if he's re aggravating it, if you know how bad it is or or whatever, if they want to give him some more time and, and let him fully recover so that he'll be available down the stretch, but they do need Fulton. I mean, that, that he's their best, you know, corner. And honestly, as well as he's played, I think he's pushing to be arguably your best defensive back. Like I think he's right up there with Kevin Byard as far as ability right now, which is saying a lot uh, for Fulton. It's, it's not really meant to be a knock at Byard, but um, they need Fulton and they need him to be healthy. So whatever it takes to get him out there and, and going, um, they need to do, but obviously, Demar Chase's status will be important to watch this week, as far as that goes too. Because if you don't have Fulton and they have Chase, that tips the scales pretty pretty sharply in the Bengals' favor in that matchup. Whereas if you, they do have Fulton and the Bengals don't have Chase, then that probably tips the the matchup towards the Titans in that you know t- Bengals receivers versus Titans defensive backs kind of matchup which is probably one of the one of if not the key matchup of this game um so those two guys will be interesting to watch but you know Zach Cunningham is on IR but I, I don't I honestly don't even think he matters at this point Dylan Cole's been just as good if not better and Monty um, Rice is, Monty is Rice getting is better every week yeah he's he's been good in there too so um but yeah you know David Long is is back healthy you know maybe you get Simmons healthy you get god hopefully Dupree like, please let Dupree get healthy at some point. Um, a Daney would be nice to get back at some point, too. I have no idea what's going on with his neck. Uh, but they, yeah, there's so many guys banged up on this defense. It's like most of the players have been dealing with some sort of injury. We've kind uh, of forgotten about Ola Adini. Like, nobody yeah. really ever talks about him being a, a, able to come off IR at any point. I think that's probably because, like, what Weaver and Mario Edwards and, um, 
you know, to some extent, Demarcus Walker, or they, they use Walker more inside than out. But um, what those guys have been able to do for them coming off the bench and, and kind of filling in, I mean, frankly, what Edwards and Walker have done, and, and Weaver, for that matter, has been better than what anything we've seen out of Adani. And I, I like Adani. I think he's a good player. But, um, yeah, I almost wonder if they're not just stashing him and saying, all right, well, we'll see if we want to use this IR return spot on somebody else or not, um, because we're pretty happy with what we've got out of these guys. So, but yeah, the defense is incredible. Um, I, I honestly felt like despite the the yardage total being pretty low for the Packers and, and just, you know, holding them to 17 points, I didn't feel like this was really the defense's best game. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers missed some throws where he had guys open that, you know, he just, airmailed or or skipped for whatever reason um but the defense did hold up i mean and look the packers running game was the thing everyone was talking about coming into this game they're averaging i think over 140 yards per game and uh you know the titans held them to 60 or something like that i don't have the exact figure in front of me but they they pretty much shut down that packers running game which ended up being huge because that basically forces the Aaron Rodgers to have to carry that whole offense then. So the as long as the run defense continues to make teams one-dimensional, the Titans are going to be really hard to play against because you just end up behind the sticks all the time against this team. Yeah. Um, you know, this this Bengals game is interesting because I feel like the Titans are better in every way. They 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 have the matchup win in every way except for, like you said defensive back versus wide receivers and the health of both those units, the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers and the, the Tennessee Titans defensive backs. But it feels like this Bengals team is a fraud team. Like I'm not too scared of this Bengals team. It's not as good as the team. I think uh, that you saw in the playoffs last year versus the Tennessee Titans. I feel like the offensive line is just as bad. I feel like if you get to Joe, uh, Joe Burrow early and often with quarterback hits and sacks, not just hurries. He's going to be skittish all day. To me, I'm I'm not too concerned, even if Jamar Chase plays, because Joe Mixon's going to have to, you know, clear concussion protocol. But is there really a difference between Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan at this point? I know Joe Mixon got a five touchdown game against the Carolina Panthers, but this is the Tennessee Titans. This is one of the best rush defenses in the in the NFL. I mean, yeah. they've allowed afraid. one rushing touchdown to a running back all year. Yeah. And like it was, I, it was 10 weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not worried about this Bengals rushing attack. I mean, is this say I, I look at what the Bengals have been able to do on run defense. And then I think about the Chargers and then I think about Philadelphia. And then I, we know that the Tennessee Titans have played at least Jacksonville twice and the Texans one more time. How many 200 yard games are on the horizon for Derrick Henry? Because I feel like this could be a 200-yard game. I feel like the Philadelphia Eagles could be close to that. Maybe they're 150. I definitely think the Chargers is a 200-yard game. And we know that traditionally, here comes DeHinber. And yeah. then you got the Jaguars on top of that. Then you got the Texans on top of that, where he does go for 200 yards a game. I mean, we're talking we could see like two or three 200-yard games down the stretch by Derrick Henry. It's it's certainly in play. I mean, it, that is uh, the schedule. 
there's really not like a formidable run defense left on the schedule. And that's, that's something that, and look, the Packers and Broncos weren't really formidable run defenses. They sold out to stop Derrick Henry and, and obviously paid for it through the air. And it'll be interesting to see how teams adjust to that moving forward, because now that the Tannehill's kind of shown for a couple of weeks, Hey, I can beat you if you're just going to sell out to stop Derrick Henry. Um, you know, will that slow teams down from playing some of those like five and six man fronts that we saw the the Broncos and Packers roll out there? So it'll be interesting kind of from a, a strategy standpoint, how teams choose to approach the Titans. But it, yeah, it, it definitely sets up well for Henry to go on some mega run here over the last, uh, what, seven games? He's known know. to do. Yeah, he is. He is. It is DeHenber for a reason. Yeah. And and you look at you know Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley you know uh, your your boy uh, Trey Wynn had put out that Saquon Barkley is a better running back than um, Derrick Henry and it's not even close or something like that and then of course Saquon Barkley goes and puts up like fifteen carries for twenty two yards it was ridiculous against the Lions of all teams by the oh, way yeah. and how lucky and I sent this in the group chat but how lucky are we as Titans fans the people that watch Titans and hate the Jaguars that they decided to go for Trayvon Walker or Raiden Hutchison. Uh, it's so it's lucky. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when you're in the AFC South and, and you've got uh, the Jaguars picking Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, and you've got the Texans uh, choosing Stingley over Sauce. I mean, it's just a bunch of unforced errors in this division constantly, uh, which is lovely. Um, the, the, this Bengals game, I mean, the better coach, Mike Vrabel, for sure, yeah. The be- the better, I would say, offense versus defense matchup is in favor of the, the Titans because they they lost their best corner over at the Bengals. They're getting DJ Reader back, but again, I'm not too concerned about DJ Reader being, being in this lineup. I just, you know, the Tennessee Titans just are going to run the ball, and I think that we're going to see a big game from Derrick Henry. It's almost going to be like, the last two weeks have been Ryan Tannehill. I think this is where we start to see, okay, Derrick Henry's back, and Ryan Tannehill doesn't really have to do a whole lot. I can see that. I mean, it is um, it is kind of an interesting matchup just because the way that the Bengals match up defensively, like, Reader's really good, um, and then the Hendrickson's really good. Hubbard's been really good. So they, their best probably three players on that defense are all in the defensive front. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how that goes. But then when you go outside and maybe this is an argument for going the other way in, in the Titans passing game, having a third straight good game, the, the Bengals corners are not good. I mean, they were getting roasted by the Steelers in Kenny Pickett, uh, in that game. I mean, it, Kenny it Pickett is terrible, just as bad as I thought he was going to be, by the way, it was, it, it was a rough game for that defense. I mean, they, they were. It was a game all the way till the very end, um, you know, when, when the Bengals finally were able to pull it out with that, that touchdown by Pirine. And then uh, uh, I think the Steelers scored late to, to get it a little bit closer. But, um, the yeah, the, the Bengals gave up 30 points uh, to the Steelers, who are one of the worst offenses in the league. Um, their corners are not good. I I think this is a – it is a matchup where the Titans offense should have some success. The thing that – you do worry a little bit about is just Joe Burrow has been so hot lately. Like he's been on fire the last two, two games at least. Um, and 
even without Jamar Chase, that's been the case. Like T Higgins is such a tough matchup. Tyler Boyd's been really good lately. Um, so they do have some pieces that still worry you, but the Titans defense, like the Mingles aren't going to be able to run the ball. So they're, they're going to be one dimensional. And it, it, you know, if the Titans can get them into that, that kind of torture chamber where they had them last year when, you know, Burrow was in third and long constantly. And then it was, you know, just a, a bevy of stunts and blitzes that, that the Titans were throwing at him and, and, you know, obviously got nine sacks there. There certainly is the opportunity to turn this into a Titan style game. Um, so I, the, the Bengals offensive line is not fixed, by the way, that, that is one thing that uh, I know people wanted them to fix it, or they thought they were going to fix it by like adding the third or fourth best lineman on a bunch of actually good offensive lines. But Turns out that wasn't the winning strategy. Um, they're maybe a little bit better than last year's group, but they're still not very good. Um, so if Jeff Simmons is healthy, if Bud Dupree is healthy, they're going to have productive games. I mean, they're going to be able to get after this guy again. So it'll be – it's going to be a good game. I, I think it's going to be a competitive game, but uh, this is one that I think the Titans certainly can win. Yeah, I, I just feel like this Bengals team is like – everybody's still clinging to Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, and then Jamar Chase squeeze in and just like totally ignoring all the other holes that this team has and the problems and issues that it has because they just want to be Bengals fans. Like the, it's kind of like the Colts in the national media. They just want to be Bengals fans. Before we go, Zach Wilson, uh, 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 we're recording this on Monday. First off, Zach Wilson is the worst quarterback I think I've ever seen play this this sport. Really bad. He's he's terrible. But today, it's just in a press conference, for the first time, Jets coach Robert Saleh left the uh, door open for a quarterback change, saying all options are on the table. Zach Wilson has been informed his job is up in the air. This is, of course, coming off the uh, Sunday news cycle, Sunday evening news cycle, where basically he took no accountability. And every ex-NFL player said that what an idiot he's gonna lose the locker room the players are not gonna like that because he said oh i don't feel like we let the defense down and then you have defensive uh players for the jets liking tweets then going back and say whoa 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 you guys are just making a big deal out of nothing we just all fat fingered at the same time the same tweet <laughs> that what a disaster but i had a question posed to me uh, not directly to me, but uh, is kind of like thrown out there in general. How did NFL scouts get Zach Wilson so wrong? But let but Malik Willis, who I thought looked better than Zach Wilson in college, uh, and from a, a traits and scouting standpoint, the, but Malik Willis goes all the way in the third round. Do you think that the Malik Willis is an overcorrection for the Zach Wilson? Uh, maybe I like, I still feel like they're different quarterbacks. Cause I mean, Wilson was all like, it was all the, I mean, I guess Willis has that to some degree too, but like the off platform throws and the weird arm angles and the ability to just like on the run, chuck it, you know, 60 yards or whatever. Um, it was very little of the actually like playing in structure, which I guess that, that, would be the similarity with, with Willis yeah. to some degree. Um, so maybe, maybe that is part of like the overcorrection, but yeah, Wilson has been so bad. Like he, he's absolutely terrible. 
Um, but then like you also see like Justin Fields, you know, I think has some of the some of the similarities with uh Willis as far as being a really good runner of the football and and being able to bring that part of the game to his offense and and he's obviously taken off a little bit. Um although the hype may have gotten a little bit ahead of itself uh the last last couple weeks with him. Um but Wilson is one of the all-time worst. And yeah, like the losing the locker room thing, like I, I don't know that his answer was that bad, but it it was just a terrible awareness thing to not just be like, take the opportunity to fall on a grenade and say, look, not good enough by me. Um, it, I let the team down. I'm going to make sure that they know it and the, that I'm going to come back and, and do better next week. Um, like that's all he had to say in this. None of this becomes a controversy. Him just flat out denying that the offense let them down. When they clearly did, they had 100 yards of total offense in that game. Uh, and if they could have moved the ball at all, they would have beaten the Patriots because the defense played their ass off. Um, it was obvious that that was what happened, and him just not admitting it. it. Sometimes you just have to admit what really happened happened, and that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, I've, I've, we're talking about net pass yards of 44. Oh, God. <laughs> 44. He completed nine of twenty-two. It was a, it was so pitiful. I was so, oh, I, I got mad, irrationally angry every time that that game popped up on Red Zone. So I'm like, oh, no, God. stop it! I don't, I don't care about this game. I, you cannot make me care about this game. The, uh, but I, I found, I just, you know, I find it interesting that he's just so terrible. But he's also just a terrible person, I feel like. Like, there is nothing about him. You know, I, th- I thought I was really going to enjoy some Zach Wilson, you know, when it came out that, you know, he's a big MILF hunter. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, well, he's got some personality. Like, I like this side of Zach Wilson. And then he's just he's just a bad quarterback, and he's it looks like he's a bad teammate. It seems like, no matter how you how you put it, obviously the head coach has lost faith in him. He's off to a worse start than I think both Mark Sanchez, Sam Darnold, and uh, there was a quarterback in between that, um, as someone listed. But like it's like one of the worst starts for w- the rookies that they have drafted over the last few years. I mean, just a total misstep to choose Zach Wilson over some of the other quarterbacks that they could have had. I was just, I was never in love with Zach Wilson as much as these scouts and everybody were. And I think there's a lot of people going to have some revisionist history about some Zach Wilson as well out in these Twitter streets. Well, I mean, to be honest though, that that whole quarterback class, which everyone touted is like, Oh my God, what a great quarterback class. Look, you got these five guys that are all like high end picks. None of them have been good. Like I, I guess Trevor Lawrence has been the best of the bunch, but like I think he, you can make an argument that Justin Fields is is doing more with less now that they've decided to run him. But running wasn't a big part of his college game, which is odd to me. Right? Yeah it's it's just been a different different way of winning with him. Um, but at least they're kind well, kind of winning. I think they might actually have the same record as the Jaguars. So yeah, so maybe not. I. None of these quarterbacks are good, though. I mean, Wilson's terrible. Trey Lance looked terrible before he got hurt. Um, you know, we'll see what he turns into after that. Uh, Mac Jones has regressed horribly this uh, second season. You know, 
maybe none of them are good. I, I don't know. It's it's either none of them are good or all these guys needed a lot of development time in the NFL. Um, and that that is a possibility. And that is why, you know, as as you relate it back to Titan stuff, like, hey, Malik Willis sitting for a while is okay, actually. Yeah. Like, it, I'm not in a huge hurry to watch a young quarterback right now, given what I'm seeing from all the other young quarterbacks around the league at the moment. Yeah, it's it's it feels like it's getting harder and harder, and we're we're seeing these um, current this next crop of college quarterbacks outside of Stroud and Young. They don't in, inspire a lot of hope for the maybe. Um, oh, his name always escapes me. The Washington quarterback. He has a cool name Phoenix. too. That. Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, yeah, Michael Penix Jr. He makes some great NFL throws and everything, and. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him be in the NFL and be really good. But it just seems like the the every year it's the 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 next quarterback class is better than this one. The next one is better than this one. This one is the elite one. In all honesty, I think if you would have put Malik Willis in last year in the Trevor Lawrence draft class, I think he goes pretty high. Like I think he goes way higher than third round. He might. I mean, you like remember when Justin Mello of uh, of Music City Audible uh, fame uh, interviewed Sean McAvoy, uh, the quarterbacks coach that works with Willis. He works with Jalen Hurts. He works with Deshaun Watson. He works with who else? Who else are their clients? Trey Lance, um, Justin Fields. uh, Let's see. I think there's there's a couple more in there, but you know, he mentioned kind of the Willis and Lance and like fields are all guys that they train together. And he was like, it's absolutely crazy to me that Willis went in the third round when these other two guys went in the like top half of the first round. Like he's like, there there's, he has hinted in interviews that Willis would not be his, would not be the last of those quarterbacks if he was to stack them personally. And he's the guy that's been training them. Uh, all in the off seasons for like the last two or three years. So that's some pretty good insight into like I, how hard quarterback evaluation is for one, but also like sometimes teams just like look at these things. And I, I just think it's random. Like some, sometimes I just think it's like, Oh, well they see that, you know, Willis struggled with this particular throw or whatever. And they're like, ah, I'm just going to write them off. Like scouting is so hit or miss and just like an imperfect science it's really hard to do and really hard to do at a high level. So um, it'll be really interesting to track like Willis's career versus those other guys that, that are kind of part of that like training group. Um, because yeah, the, the hints that, that, that Sean McAvoy guy gave were that Willis would not be at the bottom of that total bowl. So um, that, that should give some hope, I think for his development potentially in the future. I am I think the Falcons need to make a quarterback change and put our guy Desmond Ritter out there and start winning these games more decisively. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Our guy, you abandoned the Ritter train. I did not abandon the Ritter train. Oh, you did. Uh-uh. No way. I've always been a Ritter guy. I've always loved Malik Willis more than Ritter, but I always thought that for this team, now I, I, I guess I will say I did go to the Sam Howell side. You did. You I abandoned, did. You abandoned the Ritter train for the yeah. Howell train. I did. I did like the Howell train. Uh, but Desmond Ritter's got to give you more than Marcus. And I know Marcus has kept him in contention, but he has not looked good. He just has not looked good. No. No, it's, but, it's time to give Ritter a try. Like Kyle Pitts, before he went down with injury and before this week, he had like a 48.7% uh, catch rate. Um, but 
The problem is, is that he only has two drops. So basically every ball thrown towards him that he was targeted on was pretty much a t- the worst ball you could throw. Like, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm so out on Marcus as, as per usual. But I just wanted to say, let's get Desmond Ritter a chance. Let's get get him to take that team to the to new heights. While they're, yeah, while they're I'm rooting for the Falcons because they're fun and they've got some like interesting weapons, and I like Art Smith. So uh, I kind of root for them a little bit, but it makes it really hard watching Marcus. He's just uh, he's just such a like frustrating watch as a quarterback. Yeah. Well, that will do it for us. This has been football under the F words. Hopefully, everybody has a good Thanksgiving. And uh, you are hearing this on a Wednesday, hopefully. And you have also read and subscribed to paulkarski.com and read Mike's articles. Always great. Always insightful. Mike Herndon at Mike Herndon NFL. I'm Zach. You follow me on Twitter at FWordsPod. This has been Football Under the F-Words brought to you by Jaspers. Two for one on Sundays. Go down there and watch the Titans play the Bengals. This has been Football Under the F-Words. You have just been F. A Broadway Sports Media Production.